This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics, and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Greg Ellis, General Manager, Application Security at Digital AI. Greg, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thank you, Art. Thank you for coming, Greg. It's great to have you on. All right, uh, I'm going to set the stage very quickly. So unless you're listening to me from Mars or some other planet, you know that today cybersecurity is important as physical one. And they both are intertwined and security breaches are being reported almost daily. It's about personal data security on your phone, your computer, security of big corporations and nonprofit. In this episode, we have Greg to talk about security in the mobile app development process. But first, Greg, uh, before anything else, let's kick off with talking about you. Please tell us about yourself and your background in tech. Yeah, thanks. It seems like I've been a part of technology since I was a young child. And even when working in non-tech companies, I was usually involved with some aspect of technology integration and adoption. And out of college, I worked on avionics systems and platforms for a number of years and integrating software and hardware solutions, which really brought me to being maybe a little bit broader in my perspective about how security and just software in general can play across a much broader system solution. And as you mentioned, I'm you know currently the, the general manager here at digital.ai for the application security business, uh, which is actually a successor company of Arxian, where I started in 2007. Arxian itself was a spin out of IP formed at Purdue University, which while I was not involved in the early days of, of that piece of it, I did do some undergrad work at the security lab at Purdue, which is called Sirius or formerly Coast, uh, where several of those founders worked. So uh, kind of a, a long history, not only in technology, but also on the security side. Terrific. Uh, now, give me a kind of a thumbnail sketch of what is digital AI today? Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, Arxian is is one of the predecessor companies or legacy companies. What digital.ai did is really formed from five different companies pulling across together the top, you know, first, second, or third leading solutions in their respective spaces across planning, application lifecycle management, release orchestration and deployment management, automated testing for web and mobile, and of course, my own group here with application security. And really, I guess, put simply, digital.ai enables enterprises to move fast at scale. We're the enterprise platform for AI-powered software delivery workflows, allowing for better predictive decision-making, providing the means to orchestrate and govern AI-based software. And our mission really is to help customers unlock the endless digital possibilities by harmonizing the delivery of software across that entire cycle. Got you. I, I like the name. It's like every uh, letter in the name gives you like the meaning. Digital AI, like you, you get the point. What exactly the company is doing, um, right away. Uh, so it's it's short, but it's sweet. Now, uh, security. Uh, we're gonna use this term first. Um, DevSecOps, which was not familiar to me prior to this interview. So I'm interested in to hear more. Uh, and what are the main benefits and challenges of its adoption in the enterprise level of development? Yeah, 
So DevSecOps for us is, well, first of all, DevSecOps is development, security, and operations and that entire life cycle. And for us, it really is around accelerating digital transformation by unifying, securing, and generating these predictive insights across that software development, delivery, and operational life cycle. And some of the benefits of that really include the efficiency and speed within and among teams, reducing business risk, enhancing security and compliance, and ultimately increasing enterprise value. And the challenges in that, and especially in the adoption, include a lot of cultural shifts around scaling as teams of teams, especially as organizations continue to grow. And we move from small teams just working the, you know, within their scrum teams or their small team environments and scaling that up to teams of teams across a large enterprise with tens of thousands of developers. And so you know, that's, that's kind of that challenge on the cultural side. Yeah. And then on the DevSecOps, it's really around adopting uh, the, the concept that security is everyone's responsibility and overcoming any fears that new tools or techniques, such as the adoption of AI, will somehow jeopardize jobs. And then beyond that, I think it's just important to incorporate a platform approach that allows for leveraging current tools while working toward a more seamless integration across that life cycle. And of course, from a security standpoint, just striking that balance between speed and security, which really can be aided through automation and, and these insights. Um, yeah, I, um, I think it's like, it's been more than 20, 25 years since cyber become the second part, like cybersecurity as a term was introduced. And um, it's a bit of a puzzle for me why, you know, today, uh, like 25 plus years later, it's still, not the standard component every software development you can think of but uh, yeah we're, we're still talking about the adoption as the process so not everybody is on the same page now what are the best practices and tools uh, for implementing devsecops in mobile app dev yeah i'm sure you know as, as many of your listeners may already be aware the main focus is on shifting left to identify and address security issues as early as possible in the development process and really incorporating security considerations as early as even in the, the planning and design stages. And then integrating these automated security protections and testing into the pipeline. So not only standard approaches such as static or dynamic application security testing, but also by adopting approaches that allow for application hardening and shielding to be incorporated into the overall workflow. And then as applications are progressing through this pipeline, just ensuring that any regulatory and compliance issues can be automatically screened and verified providing mm -hmm. audit artifacts on the back end of that, especially in you know, organizations such as like financial services uh, or really any regulatory environment. And then ultimately ensuring that only secure quality applications actually reach the deployment stage. We've actually heard of some customers that inadvertently release a non-protected application out into the wild. And so you really want to make sure that you've got those, those tools in place to catch that. But then once the applications themselves are deployed, it's just as important to ensure that those apps are monitored for active attacks and collecting threat analytics and then responding in real time via runtime application self-protect and feeding those insights into the next DevSecOps cycle. So again, it's it's the best practice is really to not only uh, shift left and add security in the stage, but also then ensuring on the back end and the operational side that it's there. And then that feedback loop that comes all the way back to, to inform that next cycle within DevSecOps. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with the with the statement that security of mobile apps is the big issue these days. Uh, you may hear about you know every aspect of uh, mobile app development, like design, um, 
retaining um, customers, uh, making sure that the app is being used on a daily, monthly basis, like the um, you know um, the roadmap of introducing more features. But security is being part and parcel, like just uh, the desktop desktop software, but even more complicated, more uh, challenging. Um, and um, um, what are the what are the right way to measure and improve uh, the security performance of the mobile app development team? Yeah, that's that's a, obviously a, a major focus, right? Is how do we ensure that we're really getting that value as we're shifting left, as we're including security throughout that? So, you know, use of approaches such as um, what we would call like a change risk prediction can provide backwards looking analytics as well as forward looking predictive insights into bottlenecks in the process, not just in security, but actually overall in each of the different stages. And if we take generative AI as an example, uh, these tools and these co-pilots that, that can greatly increase productivity in the development phase, but without this platform approach across that entire pipeline, including integration of continuous testing and the governance and compliance, as I mentioned earlier, bottlenecks are going to occur in these later stages, which may actually prevent the full value of AI from being unlocked, right? So having these tools that allow the visibility to impact of changes, understanding what changes have occurred and what changes have occurred in the past, relative to the amount of rework that's been required on those types of changes, and then looking at the level of responsiveness to different parts of that change, and really being able to identify that across the entire organization, again, not just security. And then lastly, when something's completely in operations, as I mentioned, just understanding as an example, what tickets and reports are coming through uh, in the past to start getting these trends and being able to start giving indications of if there's going to be a major incident. So as we think about things on measuring and improving security performance, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it is that shifting left, to improve the performance, not in the only in the development cycle itself, but again, using those predictive and analytics to really get those trends uh, looking forward, and then that feedback loop coming back through. Um, now, I'm gonna uh, give a quick uh, case of uh, the security problem. Uh, in the late of October, uh, Toronto Public Library was hacked. Unfortunately, it's the ransom case, and this is ongoing process. Folks are trying to fix the damage. Uh, some data was breached. Uh, luckily, nothing financial uh, data was stolen, but uh, personal information. And so it's been uh, a work in progress and like making sure that everything is work back, you know, back to work. Uh, some services are still unavailable. And of course, it's a huge problem for every folk living in Toronto that, you know, public library, one of the staples of a local community, just yeah. not available. You can still get books online, but the process of getting your books and returning them back um, physically is not, um, it's not that uh, straightforward it used to be. And some stuff just does, doesn't work completely at all. It's still TBD when it's going to be put back online. So... How do we handle security incidents and vulnerabilities in mobile app releases? Perhaps AI can help with that process. Yeah, I mean, so implementing real-time monitoring and response, as I kind of mentioned earlier, that runtime application self-protect uh, in the mobile uh, mobile applications to detect and prevent abnormal behavior from escalating uh, is definitely an area that that not only we can help in, but AI as a whole really can help by identifying, prioritizing, analyzing, and correlating the security events across your mobile app infrastructure based on these patterns and anomalies. And, you know, you mentioned the ransomware, and that's certainly something, you know, with the uh, the increase in the popularity of, you know, cryptocurrencies uh, makes it a lot easier for ransomware 
actors to really kind of cash out and, and not have you know attribution and, and being able to kind of stay away from that. But we're also seeing this proliferation uh, of the attack tools themselves uh, and becoming you know not only um, more advanced but uh, developing more quickly in terms of uh, the different versions of that is like jailbreak and, and root type things. And so one of the things that obviously has been going around is, you know, will AI be weaponized from that standpoint on the attack tools, uh, you know, versus how do we use AI to your point here to, to kind of handle these security incidents and vulnerabilities. And so, you know, when incidents do occur, AI can aid in automating these responses based on, you know, pre predefined rules and playbooks uh, as you're implementing your incident response process and really significantly enhancing, you know, various aspects of that incident vulnerability management. So it's, you know, the, with that though, it's important to note that AI should not just be used as its own comprehensive security strategy, um, but one that's comprehensive with human expertise to interpret these results and making strategic decisions to and looking at how to adapt to new and evolving threats. So that, that human aspect still needs to be in there and AI isn't going to necessarily be the end all and be all, but it's there really to augment the work that we're doing and try to reduce our workload. And that combination of AI technologies and human intelligence really creates a more robust defense against security incidents and vulnerabilities you know, in these mobile app environments. Yeah, totally. Um, given the all recent, well, I don't know, uh, I shouldn't say recent, it's been more than a year that ChatGPT was introduced, the whole uh, coverage in the tech press uh, for its huge impact on the whole parts of the economy it's just another tool in the toolbox and just with any tool there's always a case for you know for bad actor to use it and for good guys to use it on the you know the bright side of the equation uh so i do hope that it's um not going to be part of the problem but part of the solution as they say um now exactly. greg um i do want to ask this question uh to you because uh, you've been the industry for a while uh, and um, I have a feeling you may have a, a thing or two to reply to get an answer on this question. Uh, looking at big tech today, uh, what would you like to change it about it the most? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, you know, I've thought about this as I've looked at some of the activities that have been going on and, and really, you know, a lot of the focus obviously is on, on the, the technology and what it enables us to, to do. But I think with big tech in particular, it might be a little trite, but as these tech titans continue to dominate our daily lives, uh, I would like to see them take more responsibility around uh, improving the society as a whole, right? And not just the profit side of business. Uh, and again, that is a little trite to say. And you know, we've seen focus in recent years around environmental and social and governance and diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. But I think more work is needed there. And I think big tech has an opportunity to not only continue its own stellar growth, but really just shape a stellar future, right? With workplace culture and our local communities and, and really the world at large and taking advantage of that ability where these things have really permeated our daily lives to, to not just uh, make it easier, but make it better. I totally agree, Greg. That's, that's, um, that's a really great way of, way of putting it. Um, it. Bottom line is great, but um, your future shouldn't hinge on in your bottom line uh boy i hope uh, this is um uh, I, I hope what you're saying will be uh, actually um part of the future for the big tech and um fingers crossed yeah, i feel like it's asking for world peace a little bit but uh, yeah yeah that's it. 
one of those questions, but the, when you're not thinking about it, when you're not trying to solve the problem, uh, it's not going to happen on its own for sure. Okay. Uh, the show has always two parts. Uh, and the second one is the small, sweet part where I take a quick chance to ask a few quick questions to every guest who comes on the show. Uh, because I want my listeners not only uh, be more educated, be more knowledgeable after listening about specific topic, but know why every guest who come on the show a little bit better. So here we go. Uh, what smartphone do you have now? Are you one of those folks who stick on one side of the equation all the time or go, going back and forth between Android and iOS? Yeah, uh, so I have an iPhone 13 Pro Max currently. Uh, and as much as I enjoy tech, I do kind of tend to latch on to devices until really their limitations don't outweigh the benefits of upgrading. Uh, I've not really been an Android user, and, and that's mostly just due to my immediate and extended family being primarily iPhone users themselves and us kind of standardizing on a, on a platform. Gotcha. All right. Um, let's go back in time. Uh, before the, you know, the era of smartphone, what was your mobile phone uh, back then? Uh, your first mobile phone. Up. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't laugh, and I'm definitely aging myself here, but my I'll first try. mobile phone was actually a Motorola bag phone. So, oh, uh, Many of your listeners may need to go look that up. Yeah, they should look it up. I'm going to put the link <laughs> I mean, on, the, on the key in the description. I would say my first smartphone, quote unquote, was really a, a BlackBerry. So I was definitely an early adopter on the BlackBerry stage. Oh, yeah. BlackBerry. Uh, not in the grocery store, but in the <laughs> as, a smart, as a smartphone. Right. Uh, now, Imagine you've left your home and for whatever reason, you left your iPhone sitting on your and now uh, next to your bed or whatever, you're out. Uh, what is the most missing feature for you? Yeah, uh, absolutely my integrated calendar. Just between keeping my work life straight, my wife's work activities and our personal events and other you know kids and family activities aligned, I would be totally lost without just having that right, right there in my hand. Uh, and then I would say, you know, the other side of that would probably be just, I really enjoy face-to-face -face discussions. Uh, so FaceTime is is definitely uh, one that I use a lot on my, on my smartphone. Got you. Okay. Uh, well, nothing is perfect. Uh, the same goes for a smartphone. When you look at your iPhone 13 Pro Max, uh, 13 Pro Max or for yep. 13, Pro? 13 Pro Max? Yeah. Uh, can you think of anything that is not there yet, software-wise or hardware-wise, anything that would make it better for you? Uh, I'm not talking about necessarily something that we can hear, you know, uh, being discussed, uh, some some trendy stuff. But if you think about something that would make it better tool for you personally. Yeah, I don't know that I could put my finger on anything like a specific uh, technology or an application. I would just say in general. Uh, I'm just looking forward to those continued integrations and adoption of, you know, whether it's AI or other augmented technologies that just make our day-to-day our -day life easier. I mean, you know, if I had thought 10 years ago, would I have, you know, Siri and Alexa in my life as an example, right? It's been a, a crazy thing, but, you know, I wake up in the morning, I'm asking Alexa what the weather's going to be, how long my commute's going to be, you know, those, those things are nice. And again, having those, you know, in your hand on your smartphone and pushing more of the applications, uh, you know, into your hand and, you know, we hear from, again, as financial services, I was kind of talking about earlier, 
uh, and some of the things they're focused on, you know, there are more people that are interacting, you know, with their with their banking applications than are going into, you know, brick and mortar. And, and you know, the, the number of tellers has come way down. Number of developers has, has gone way up as, as an example, right? So just having all that right there, you know, in my hand and continuing to see not just individual applications, but, you know, how do those uh, help, again, kind of my day-to-day -day life uh, go, go better. But that being said, I, I think, you know, the other thing that, uh, is a danger there with having that, you know, always on, always present uh, kind of activity going on on your smartphone is really trying to learn how to set that set that to the side and really be present in the conversation that you're in. And that's something, I guess, you know, maybe heard it referred to as fubbing, right? Where you're kind of snubbing somebody with your phone. Um, so I've really been trying to focus on, you know, taking my phone and setting aside or putting it face down so I don't see the alerts come up when I'm trying to engage, at, you know, out at dinner or, you know, in another event where I really need to focus. So I think there's a good balance between, you know, these, these new technologies and, and how they can make our life better, but not forgetting to have, you know, the personal interaction that I think uh, we really enrich our lives. Yeah, uh, I think the metaphor that uh, your smartphone is just another tool uh, serves nicely, but to the point, because, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, tool like a hammer or a screwdriver, this thing do not uh, dominate your life. It just sit there in your toolbox. You grab it whenever you, you need to use it and just put it away. With a smartphone, it's harder. It's got to be a tool that is itself capable to kind of uh, back up and uh, just move away uh, from your life, whatever it should do, and uh, go back when, like, any moment you need any help. That intelligent uh, kind of a back and forth is dance is not there yet. So we're trying, hopefully Apple will keep pushing this frontier more and more uh, and still making sure the device is secure. That's, I think we both agree it should be the case. Yep, absolutely. All right, before I let you go, very, very, very final question, which is this, how can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Oh yeah, great question. So uh, I would recommend starting on our website at digital.ai. Uh, that has a lot more information on what we're doing for our latest innovations, including our product release highlights, some how-to demos, and additional content and resources such as our community portal that we put out there that, that really allow uh, for more engaged discussions. Obviously, there's also links to our support and our new inquiry uh, pages as well. So that's more of kind of the general approach. And then from a personal standpoint, LinkedIn is probably the, the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, although uh, I would certainly ask that any cold contacts, if you're reaching out, make it very clear, you know, why you want to connect and, you know, why you think that relationship would be, you know, valuable both directions. Cool. Greg, thank you so much for spending time with us and being on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. And that was Greg Ellis, General Manager, Application Security at Digital AI. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.